Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast Week 11 Recap Edition. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, I had a great weekend of college football. My Georgia Tech team won. My Louisville team won. I watched Georgia get beat by Auburn. I had a solid weekend of college football. How was yours, sir? Everything's hell, but congratulations to you <laughs> on your Yellow Jackets. Let me be the first Virginia Tech fan to congratulate you. And well, if thank I, you. And if I'm not the first, then, you know, unofficially the first, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Here I help. mean, Georgia Tech ended with more points on the scoreboard. So, in some senses, they won. But in other senses, I don't think anybody won in that game, Mike. That uh, was yeah. kind of a mess. And maybe we just start there, uh, here recapping all these games. There's a lot of kind of... Uh, Difficult to watch it. games in their own respect. Yeah, just, say, the just, say bad, just say bad football, you know? <laughs> there was plenty of no bad football yeah. in the ACC this weekend. And uh, we'll start with, I think, a game that is not by any stretch result, you know, absolved of that. Uh, Georgia Tech 28, number 17, Virginia Tech 22. Uh, we were kind of tweeting back and forth a little bit during this game. But, I mean, this was this game was just... Kind of a mess, Mike. Um, Georgia Tech's special teams was continuing to try to lose this game. Virginia Tech made all sorts of weird play calls and decisions when to go for go for it on fourth down, going for two in the first half for Lord knows what reason. Taquan Marshall throws about the ugliest pick six you'll ever see. Uh, Virginia Tech gets third and one at the end of the game and throws two passes that fall incomplete to lose, like... Man, Georgia Tech comes away with a win here, and it feels good to finally win a game and protect a lead for once, but this game was really just kind of ugly and kind of just kind of bizarre. Like, I, I don't feel like anybody's better for watching this game. Like, this was kind of a mess. Yeah, so when I watch Georgia Tech play, uh, most of the time it's either bits and pieces of the game while it's live, and then, you know, I do a rewatch where I just watch a summary of a game. And I see the pertinent parts, the parts that I need to see to do the analysis on here with you. Watching that game start to finish, I think that's probably the third or fourth game this year I've seen of Georgia Tech start to finish. I continue to see why Georgia Tech does this thing where they just give games away. Um, it's little things throughout the game. And Virginia Tech is one of those teams that does the exact same thing. And I feel like we're watching almost identical teams. Um not from a style standpoint at all, but, you know, from the standpoint of these teams do everything in their power to find a way to lose. Um, I tweeted out after Taquan Marshall threw that pick six to Greg Stroman there late in the game. I tweeted out, Georgia Tech reminds me of 2016 Notre Dame. It's like you can see the talent and you can see the ability and the playmakers they have and you can see the potential all across the field. But then they always make that crucial mistake that you can't make in big time games. Now, Lucky for Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech makes those mistakes as well. So I watched this Virginia Tech game yesterday, and I come away from it saying, okay, well, they're lucky they won the opener against West Virginia because they have gotten blown out or soundly beaten. I feel like this game yesterday, they kind of just beat themselves from the coaching standpoint, but they always find a way to lose games that they should hopefully be competitive in, right? Like, anytime they play a good team. So they beat West Virginia in the opener, barely, right? They held off a final drive from Will Greer. They get blown out by Clemson. They get blown out by Miami. And they find a way to lose to Georgia Tech. I mean, those are the only four good teams on their schedule. And they're 1-3 in those games. So Virginia Tech sits at 7-3. and three. They're now out of the top 25. But they're a fake team. Um, I, I was sitting here a couple of weeks ago thinking Miami was the fraud. Now I'm looking at it. Virginia Tech's clearly the fraud. 
in the ACC. And that is my prevailing thought coming away from this football game. Also, looking at the coaching staff for Virginia Tech, you know, they've been praised. You know, I'm a fan. I'm an alum. They've been praised numerous times over the past year and a half since Fuente and his staff took over. They cannot come away from this game and not receive criticism. And I, I think fans are starting to really catch up and be like, hey, you know, we need to hold them accountable. Play calling was absolutely horrible the entire game. Questionable play calls. Second quarter, you're chasing points. You go for it on fourth down, which I guess is fine if it works. Didn't work out. I think it was fourth and three or fourth and four around the 25-yard line. It was going to be a short field goal um, around, you know, inside 40 yards. Um, they decide to go for it there. doesn't work. Georgia Tech stops them. Uh, Georgia Tech's up 14-3. Virginia Tech scores a touchdown there in the second quarter to make it 14-9, and then they try to go for two, chasing points to make it a field goal game in the second quarter. That didn't make any sense. Um, it was a low-percentage passing play that didn't work out anyway, so it was 14-9. So you left four points on the board there in the first half, in my opinion. Then you come out in the second half. Let's just fast-forward to the very end. Georgia Tech has a 28-22 lead. The Hokies are sitting third and one on Georgia Tech's side of the 50. Hokies have all three timeouts left. You have about a minute 10, minute 15 to play. Third and one, you throw a fade pass. Couldn't be a more low percentage play in football than running a fade. They run that play to the left side. Eric Kuma can't come down with it. Fourth and one, you literally need a yard. You have a six foot three quarterback who can literally take the ball and fall forward for a first down. And you decide to throw a deep post to Cam Phillips. I understand you like your matchup because it's Cam Phillips. You have a redshirt freshman on him in the secondary. You like your chances on the outside with um, your fourth-year starter as a senior, a school record holder. But if you like that matchup, why don't you try to exploit it on earlier downs or try to exploit it after you pick up the first down? I didn't understand why the Hokies didn't choose to run it. They haven't been a good running team all year, but it's fourth and one. It's third and one. All you really need to do is fall forward. They chose not to do that two boneheaded long passing plays which didn't make a whole lot of sense and the Hokies lose the game and it was as simple as that and it was the little things throughout the game that killed Virginia Tech there were little things that could have killed Georgia Tech but they came out on the right end of the score Joey and I come away from this game not really all that impressed with how either team played but looking how the game went from start to finish I think Georgia Tech was more prepared and I think this might have been a case of Miami beating Virginia Tech twice their heads the, the players' heads and the coaching staff, they just didn't seem like their heads were in it this entire game. So not a good look for Virginia Tech now losing two in a row and losing to another good team. They haven't beaten a good team since the opener against West Virginia, and that's really plagued them. So I don't know. We'll have to see where it goes from here. But the Hokies are now 7-3 and three and out of the top 25. You mentioned a lack of focus. I thought that that was the most most visible at, at the uh... – so at the beginning of the, of the third quarter, Georgia Tech's first possession coming out of halftime, the Hokies have gone three plays for a negative nine yards, and they've punted. Georgia Tech has gone two plays for negative eight yards, and now they're facing third and 18 at their own 40-yard line. And there was a huge lapse in coverage by the Virginia Tech secondary to let Brad Stewart get behind them. Third and 18, like there's only one thing that Georgia Tech is ever going to do, and it's going to be throw a deep pass. And somehow they just lost Brad Stewart, who's, you know, one of your two primary receivers. So I don't know how that happened. The just huge mental lapse. But that's that's the kind of lack of focus that ultimately cost Virginia Tech this game. Um, yeah, what you were saying about Georgia Tech finding ways to lose, I think it was just incredibly apparent in this game where I feel like on 80 to 85% of plays this year, Georgia Tech is really good. And that's where they, you know, they had Miami beat. They had Tennessee beat. Uh, they, they, you know, had Virginia beat like all of their, all their losses, except for the loss to Clemson. I mean, they had the game one, but then it's the other 15 to 20% of plays that are just so self-destructive that it costs them the game. Take one Marshall's pick six that he threw. I, I, I could Horrible. not Couldn't could believe, not believe that. Couldn't believe the decision. I, I mean, you, you can't even justify that saying that he was trying to throw it away because he hit – I mean, who was that that he, he – he, who was it that intercepted the pass? Was it, uh, it was, Stroman? Yeah, it was Stroman. Yep. Yeah, he hit Greg Stroman in the numbers, Mike. Like, there was no effort to get the ball over to the bench or anything. Like, it was just a horribly, horribly thrown ball and a, a terrible decision. Um. But in any case, Georgia Tech comes away winners 28-22.
I was surprised to a certain degree, too, of how well Georgia Tech's rushing attack worked in this game. They've traditionally struggled against Bud Foster's defenses, uh, but Marshall and Benson come away with a combined about 150 yards rushing on 44 carries, so not, not really efficient. Uh, but it certainly wasn't a uh, a total roadblock situation either that they usually face against a Clemson or maybe even Georgia, et cetera. Um, so Georgia Tech gets it done. I, you know, I don't know how, but they do. Um, and now Georgia Tech is two and zero against the Hokies in the basketball conference era, Mike. For what that's worth, uh, not the best start here. I'm now zero and two, but whatever. Mm-hmm. We'll try to figure out a way to get it done next year. Um, real quick, I didn't hit on the defense for the Hokies. Thought the defense was terrible. Um, you know, bits and bits and pieces of the game, they were okay. But I mean, you let Taquan Marshall complete two passes for 140 yards and two touchdowns. Can't happen. So, yeah, brutal game all around, and it was just a lack of focus. It was a complete coaching staff. I I hit on the offense, but I think just a complete lack of focus across the board. Offensive line was horrible. Georgia Tech's defensive line got after them at just. Josh Jackson's looking like he's regressing. I think that's due to offensive line play. Um, he's just getting a little bit rattled because he has no time to throw and Tech can't run the ball. So it's, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think the better team for like three quarters of the game won. I thought the Hokies played well in the second half, well enough to win, but they kept making those mistakes that cost you in the end. So a battle of two teams. It was who wanted to lose it more and the Hokies won on this day. Yep. Georgia Tech 28, Virginia Tech 22, and my Yellow Jackets, again, Mike, are the real tech. It is official. It's on the scoreboard. Gross. <laughs> uh, where do you want to go next? Where do I want to go next? Let's talk about NC State BC. Let's get oh, into dear. that. Uh, number 23, NC State beat Boston College 17-14, to 14, Mike. Uh, this was also not really a sight for sore eyes. Uh Really, it was a big run late from Naeem Hines that ended up being the difference in this game. He's healthy. Yeah, I mean, he's there. Uh, Ryan Finley was not good here. 13 of 32 for 146 yards and a pick. Bad, bad, bad. Not great. Uh, Boston College, A.J. Dillon, by the way, I I think I need to start calling him like the D-Train. Yeah, not bad. He's D-Train? Does that work for A.J. Dillon? Yeah, that works for me. Okay. Because in his last four games, he's gone 39 for 272, 24 for 89, 33 for 149, and 36 for 196 in a touchdown in this game, Mike. Is he the best running back in the ACC? I think you can make that argument, yeah. I think you can, too. And this, um, is, this is a guy who literally came out of nowhere. I mean, Boston College couldn't run the ball for uh, really until like early to mid-October. Uh, it was after the Virginia Tech game when A.J. Dillon all of a sudden started becoming a thing, and now he's been unbelievable. Yeah, he's second in the conference in rushing yards right now, uh, behind only Lamar Jackson. I mean, yeah, I mean, you look, put him up against guys like Cervante Benson, Travis Homer, Cam Akers, Naeem Hines. I mean, if you if you just objectively ask me which one I want on my team, if I'm starting a brand new college football team today, I'm maybe taking another one of those guys. But Dedrick Mills. I mean, maybe yeah. That well, R.I.P. Uh, yeah. But you can't. Yeah, you can't deny that what he has done has been nothing short of phenomenal i mean he has been an absolute force in all these games and he was again here um you know 39 36 carries for 196 and a touchdown he has been dominant for boston college's offense and can i throw some credit real quick i i can't believe i'm doing this joey um as you know scott leffler is a former virginia tech offensive coordinator mm-hmm. and his offenses are gimmicky, and he runs a spread, and it's supposed to be high and ex- high and flying and exciting, and it's just not really ever. They've completely changed their identity. They've turned into a power-running team, much like Notre Dame was until last night. We'll get into that later. Um, mm-hmm. Where they all of a sudden turned into this team that wanted to throw the ball a lot but realized they didn't have a quarterback. Like They don't have a quarterback that can throw the ball a ton and do what Scott Leffler wants him to do, so instead they're just going to power-run and it's worked great. So kudos to Scott Leffler for completely changing his identity as an offensive coordinator. The play calling the last month and a half is a big reason why BC's on this run and is looking like a bowl team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, NC State holds on here. I, I'm, I'm disappointed that this wasn't any, uh, any more impressive of a showing from the Wolfpack, really. I mean, it took them well into the second quarter to even get on the board. 
uh, scoring-wise. They led 10-7 at halftime with a late field goal, but ultimately, I mean, NC State is maybe they're just suffering from a, a bit of a letdown after two rough games, you know, against Clemson and Notre Dame. Um, maybe they bounce back here, but you know, here in, next weekend they got to go to Winston Salem, Mike, and take on Wake Forest. That's dangerous. That's very, very dangerous if you're it NC is. State here. Yep, it is. I mean, they're not playing well. I mean, are they real? That's the question I want to know. Like, they lose to Notre Dame, right? They get blown out, really, by Notre Dame and South Bend. And then they play it semi-competitive game against Clemson. I mean, it was competitive in the first half. The second half, Clemson goes on that scoring run, and NC State tries to claw their way back into it in the fourth quarter. But really, like, with the athletes that NC State has, we've been talking them up all year as this really good team. And I think NC State is a good team, but are they are they actually good? Like, I'm starting to have my doubts now. It's crazy. I mean, this has been a team up until two weeks ago. It's like the anti-Miami. It's like up until two weeks ago, I'm like, who is like who is this team with Miami? And now with NC State up until two weeks ago, I'm like, yeah, this team's pretty good. Like, they can... They can play a little bit. And now you have Finley going like 13 of 32 against Boston College. Come on now. I mean, you you got you to gotta play a little bit better from the quarterback position. The offense just seems like it's sputtering a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, some of it, of well, course, Mike, has to let, Hines, right? Yeah. But, can, can we turn this around real quick? And, and I want you to hear me out on this. Shoot. Is Boston College good? Yeah, that might be okay. So that might be the real question. Maybe I'm being a little too hard on NC State and not giving enough credit to Boston College. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they are. I think they are. I mean, I think that we've reached that point. I mean, they played it pretty competitively against Virginia Tech. Now, Virginia Tech at this point, who knows what they are? I mean, they're the bar. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Virginia Tech. You're the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. I looked at BC in that game and they played it pretty competitively. I mean, the Hokies kind of jumped out to an early lead and they just kind of held them off and held them at arm's length the whole game. But since then, the offense for the Eagles has really been rolling and I'm starting to wonder if they've just kind of found their identity. Play good defense, run the football well. They can't throw, but does it really matter? I mean, you look at the teams on their schedule. I mean, they've been running over teams. I mean, they kill Florida State. They've run over Louisville, almost 200 yards rushing from A.J. Dillon yesterday against NC State. I don't know, man. Yeah, I, th- I think BC is a good team. I think they found their identity a little bit too late in the season. I mean, I think they'll make a bowl game. They're sitting, I believe, with five wins at this point. Um, so they're right in the mix. But they're in a great spot. I mean, they're sitting at 5-5. Five and five. This is the team that I think if they ran the ball a little bit better earlier on in the season, we're talking about a 7 or 8 win Boston College team before you get to a bowl game, which would be welcome news for a lot of their fan base. Well, Boston College's losses, Mike, 34-10 to to Wake Forest, 49-20 to Notre Dame, 34-7 to Clemson. Those are all kind of blowouts to, I think, what we would agree are good teams. I mean, two of them are ranked. They lost 23 to 10 to Virginia Tech, who at the time was playing really well. And that was a uh, and and then they come out here and they lose 17-14 to NC State, right? Like like none of those five losses is like an embarrassment or a bad loss so to speak. I mean, those are all varying degrees of good teams. So maybe it is that Boston College is just decent, you know, or you know, actually, you know, kind of good. I don't know. Um, they found offense, that's for sure. I mean, they haven't had offense in a while and they're running the ball great. We're talk- we always talked about, you know, before the season, we were talking about John Hilleman and how he was going to be the running back for BC. And it's crazy how these things end up unfolding because Hilleman was a known commodity. Now he's taking a backseat to A.J. Dillon, who's running over everybody. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, John Hilleman, I don't understand what happened there because his first two years he averaged 4.1 and 3.9 yards per carry. And in the last two years he's averaged 2.9 and 3.3 Um. I don't know, man. He's fallen off. There's something that feels not right with him, but the fact that he's been just totally bypassed as a part of that uh, that offense is kind of odd to me at this point. But uh, in any case, yeah, so weird game. NC State wins 17-14. Boston College might be a little better than we've given them credit, though. Getting, giving them credit for, though. Uh, Mike, I'm not talking very good today, but we'll... It's okay. We'll play through it. We will. Um, in any case, Mike, let's move on. Uh... Can we talk about what happened Thursday night? Oh, God. That that got the weekend off to a bad start for me from a picks perspective. 
Yeah, well, see, this is where uh, I started thinking there was some sort of magic in that coin I was flipping last week because the coin told me to take North Carolina plus nine on the road at Pittsburgh. I did not feel great about it. They come away with straight-up winners, Mike. 34-31, UNC beats Pittsburgh on Thursday night. Um, this was an interesting game, I thought, to watch. and I, I didn't watch it all that closely, but I kind of monitored it. UNC starts the game running back the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Uh, and that was a pretty big moment, I think, you know, just obviously getting momentum right out of the gate. Uh, they go up 14-3 to in the first quarter, you know, and, and Pitt was just chasing for a lot of this game. Um, really an impressive showing from UNC. Nathan Elliott was the, uh, the primary quarterback here. I don't really understand how that all happened. Chaz Surratt didn't see any time in this game. Uh, Elliott finishes 20-31 of 31 for 235 and two touchdowns. His counterpart, Ben DiNucci, uh, 11 for 17 for 142, not as good. Uh, Darren Hall, by the way, 23 carries for 121 and four touchdowns, Mike. He continues to have been a, a total godsend for the Pittsburgh offense here. They're seeing a little bit of the same thing as Boston College, where we just assumed that John Hillman was the guy, and we assumed that uh, Quadri Allison was the guy, and now they've gone to A.J. Dillon and Darren Hall. Um I was impressed with North Carolina here. And, and honestly, Mike, I'm impressed that we're seeing this from North Carolina in November. They have every reason to have quit by now, and they haven't. And they've now got their first win in conference play uh, here late in uh, in the season. But they haven't quit yet, and I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. So I saw North Carolina in person about three weeks ago when they played Virginia Tech. They looked like they quit in the middle of that game. So I see them quitting in games if it's not going great. But this team is still fighting for Larry Fedora. I mean, from the outset of games, it's not like they're just showing up and they're just going through the motions. I mean, they are playing hard until they go down the road of, oh, man, here we go again. We're going to get stomped in this game. And then they start to roll over, and that's it. And part of that's just because bad things have been happening to them all year, and they know they're overmatched. Um, back of their minds, you know, they see their best players getting injured, and they're just a battered and beaten team uh nathan elliott was told that he was starting on wednesday from larry fedora so day before the game hey kid get in there you're starting again uh i was really impressed with him in this football game took care of the ball 20 of 31 235 two touchdowns um i thought north carolina ran it okay uh pit i don't really understand i mean darren hall 121 four scores like you mentioned Pitt didn't throw it great. I don't know if you're ever going to throw it great with Ben DiNucci back there. Uh, that's It is what it is at this point. They're just not going to be a very good passing team when he's the quarterback, which is fine um, if you can run the ball well. And Pitt's been hit or miss with that. I mean, Darren Hall gets in the end zone four times, so that was good. But, you know, North Carolina got out got out there in front early, um, and they, they were able to play from ahead for a majority of this game, and I thought that was extremely important to them as well because um, – you just look at the way things were going in this football game. And North Carolina, you know, you have a strong first quarter. You're up 14-3. to You get 10 more in the second quarter, and you're just kind of holding off Pitt. It's 24-17 at half. But when you jump out to a lead like that and you steal the momentum early, especially on the road, that's huge. And I think that's what was most important about North Carolina. So many times this year, the Tar Heels have been playing from behind. It's been really difficult for them to come back and, and be competitive in football games. But for once this season, they finally are playing from ahead, and you can see what they can do. When the clock is in your favor, when you're not down and behind, and you have to throw the ball a million times, I mean, look what it does for you. Um, they were able to play ball control. They got out in front. They played really well across the board. And they didn't turn the ball over. I think that's the most important thing. The quarterbacks have been turnover machines. Chester Ratt's been bad. Brandon Harris has been bad. Nathan Elliott uh, turned the ball over, I believe, three times against Miami, but was able to hold on to the ball for the first time in a while. North Carolina doesn't just hand the ball back repeatedly to their opponent, and look what it gets them. It gets them a win on the road. So big-time win for North Carolina, gritty win. It's huge for the mindset and the morale of the team moving forward. It's all about moral victories here for North Carolina the rest of the way, and it's been like that for a while since they, um, you know, really since mid-October when it really started spiraling downhill. But good for the Tar Heels to get this win here. I think it's hugely important. By the way, Mike, you know who was enormous in this game for North Carolina? Anthony Ratliff-Williams. So he runs back that opening kickoff for a touchdown. 
He had five catches for 75 yards and a touchdown. He also had a completed pass for 35 yards for a touchdown. Um, he was all over the place, scoring touchdowns in three different methods. Um, really huge outing from him on a Thursday night. So, well done to him. But, yeah, I I don't know what to make of this loss for Pittsburgh. I mean, there, there are two games remaining in Blacksburg against Virginia Tech, and then they get Miami coming to town. And they need two more wins to get to six. Uh, Pitt, just when we thought that they might be getting a chance to go bowling, now they might not. Um, this is a, a rough loss on their end. So Margin of error uh, is super thin. Yeah, very, very thin margin for error for them. And uh, they did not come up on the right side of this coin here. Uh, their jerseys look good, though, so at least there's that. Uh, anything else here, Mike? Good for the jerseys. That's all we got. Fair enough. Uh, where to? Uh, where to, where to, where to. Um, let's just keep it rolling. Clemson, Florida State. That got interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. It did. Th- th- this was a, a surprisingly close game, and this was this kind of played out the way that I thought it might when I was saying that you know I wasn't all that worried about having to pick Florida State to cover. Um, Florida State played really hard in this game. They weren't always effective, but the, the defense in particular – I thought did pretty well against Clemson. Clemson comes away uh, with not quite 400 yards of offense, only 378, even though they ran like 82 plays in this game. Um, they come away with under five yards per play, which is pretty good for Florida State, you know, considering. Um, so the Seminoles kind of hung in here and and made it a game and, and – Made it interesting. I guess it was never really a a huge threat. I mean, it got down to 17-14 at one point in the fourth quarter. Um, But then Clemson scores a couple touchdowns to to really put the game away, including one with uh, about 35 seconds left, which irritated the crap out of me because I would have gotten credit for them covering. But thanks, Clemson. Um, Yeah, I mean, kind of what you expected from Florida State if they came out and played with their hair on fire, especially on defense. Um, Matthew Thomas, as always, was kind of all over the field for that defense. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, Clemson's just a better team right now. Florida State struggling to uh, protect James Blackman. Took five sacks, ten tackles for loss for the Clemson defense. So, um, I don't know, Mike. I, I don't know what there is to say about this game other than it just, you know, it was it, it was more interesting than it should have been. But ultimately, the, the end result, I think, is exactly what we thought we were going to get. Yeah, I mean, a Kelly Bryant fumble in the red zone uh, was a contributor, um, so that wasn't good. Tavian Feaster fumbled, but then James Blackman proceeded to give it right back there in the fourth quarter, uh, about six minutes to go. Florida State was in Clemson territory, trailing by, I believe, three, and Blackman gives it right back. Travis Etienne scores, and then it was 24-14. to 14. So just like that, when you give Florida State some momentum and they're playing well all of a sudden – you know, they give it right back. That's kind of been the story of their season. Offensively, they really just haven't been able to sustain drives, um, and they haven't been able to, you know, keep keep the chains moving. I think that's been the most important thing for Florida State this year. It's like, you know, as soon as you lose DeAndre Francois, the offensive line's not playing great. The running game, um, whether it be Cam Akers or Jacques Patrick, who's been hurt recently, um, they haven't been able to be consistent enough on offense, game in and game out, to really help a defense that's just extremely tired at this point. Uh, and that's been the story of Florida State season. So every time you give Florida State some life, they shoot themselves in the foot, give it right back to Clemson, and then Clemson did what they should have done earlier in the game, and they stepped on Florida State's throat. Um, end up winning the game 31-14. Everybody's mad about the final spread. I think it was Clemson minus 16 or so, so sorry about that, everybody who bet on this game. But, yeah, Clemson is an interesting team because they're in this position where they have had multiple games in which they've kind of let teams hang around and then they just put it away late really interesting to it's i'm really interested here to see how clemson plays down the stretch before they get to the acc championship game um they're going to be heavily favored in their final couple of games they have to watch out against south carolina there in the finale south carolina is playing good football right now clemson should be a favorite in that game and should if they play to their capability win that thing comfortably the clemson's got to be really careful here down the stretch and make sure they don't give teams that they're better than life because that's been the thing that that has really stuck out to me here with Clemson watching the play here over the last month or so Mike we've talked about the importance of field position before 
and especially how that relates to defense and special teams. Um, you know, even if even if the the other team isn't scoring a lot of points, if the defense can't hold them and pin them back, you know, you can really make things tough on your offense. Clemson did not have anything tough on its offense. Uh, Clemson scored four touchdowns in this game. Florida State scored two. The combined yardage of Florida State's touchdown drives is more than the combined yardage of Clemson's touchdown drives here, Mike, and it's not close. Uh, Clemson scored touchdowns on drives of 20, 28, 44, and 28 yards in this game. Florida State scored touchdowns on drives of 90 and 85 yards. Um, And this has kind of been part of what's really plagued Florida State, is especially with some questionable special teams play at times, is their offense is not really capable of methodically working the ball down the field with any sense of reliability. They're going to break at some point. And so when Clemson's getting these easy short fields, you know, to score on, it's it's just putting their, the, putting the Seminoles behind the eight ball. And so uh, impressive with how they hung in, in this game. But again, ultimately this is kind of what we just expected from where these teams are at right now in 2017. But I think it's fair to say too, that, Florida State continues to look like this year's version of last year's Notre Dame, um, a, a team that is very capable of putting it all together next year. And, and it seems like there's talent in place, although some of the issues are more structural and, and uh, problematic that will carry over if they don't get them uh, addressed. So, uh, Mike, anything else you want to hit on before we move on here? No, I think we're good. Uh, good win for Clemson. Way to stick it out. You don't want to lose at home, especially to a three-win Florida State. Oh, and shout Absolutely. shout out real quick to their fans for storming the field because I, I tweet I tweeted this and it got their fans all riled up for whatever reason because I don't think they understood that I was trolling them. So let me point that out real quick. I understand you do it every week, Clemson fans. I understand you always storm the field. That's your thing. I tweeted out I was making fun of them for storming the field for beating three win Florida State because it doesn't get any less hilarious when they do it. I don't get it. I don't know why they do that every week, but it cracks me up. So <laughs> shout out to them. Congratulations on on your victory, I guess. I don't know. Mike, they're just meeting at the paw. I know. Meeting at the paw. Yeah. that's Which sounds like you're like going to a bar or something, which I mean, I guess maybe that's the next step after meeting at the paw. Yeah. Well, I mean, who could blame them, right? Meet at the paw. Go grab drinks. It seems seems logical enough to me. But anyway, good win for Clemson. (laughs) They found a way, got the job done. Sounds like a good Saturday to me. Meet at the Paw and then go to the Paw. That's There's a bar yeah. there. Whatever. There should be. Clemson 31, Florida State 14. Uh, moving on, Mike. Let's go Louisville 38, Virginia 21, Mike. As we all expected, this game was going to go. Uh, Louisville with a big win. In reality, they were an 11.5-point favorite. The coin picked that one, and that was like my least favorite pick of the entire week. Somehow it works out. Uh, I... I don't know if you've heard, Mike, but Louisville's got this quarterback named Lamar Jackson, and he's real good. Who's he? He's good at stuff. Um, he, like, runs around real fast, and he's got a really strong arm. And uh, he was 15-26 and 26 for 195 and three touchdowns, 15 carries, 147 and a touchdown. He continues to be absolute dynamite and really the, the entirety of Louisville's offense in most cases. Uh, Louisville did get a little bit out of the running game this game outside of Lamar Jackson, which was pretty encouraging. But overall, Virginia, not all that impressive here. Uh, I, I'm kind of shocked at that in general, uh, mostly in, in that Louisville's defense has not been good this year. Um, and somehow Virginia managed to come up with less than 300 yards on them. I don't know how. I don't know why. Uh, but Louisville just totally boat races Virginia here. Uh they, they fall down early 7 nothing, and the next thing you know, it's 38-14 to 14 Louisville in the fourth quarter. Um, it was just kind of piling on for, for most of this game for the Cards. So, um, big win for Louisville here. Really unimpressive showing from Virginia after a, a big, you know, coastal win last weekend against Georgia Tech. Uh, Kurt Benkert, not great. Jordan Ellis was only okay. I don't know what happened here, Mike. I don't understand how... Louisville's defense either got you know got was able to stop Virginia or how Virginia was just not able to move the ball at all on the Cards defense. 
Yeah, it seemed like even though it was a close game, it was 17-14 Louisville at halftime. It just seemed like Virginia, the entire first half, was just kind of on the cusp of getting blown out. And then Lamar Jackson went ahead and blew them out (laughs) in the the third Mm -hmm. and fourth quarter. Um, Quick note on Lamar Jackson, first player in FBS history to throw for 3,000 yards and run for 1,000 yards in two consecutive seasons. So because their team isn't playing as well as they did a year ago, he's not getting any Heisman hype or any Heisman consideration. Some of that might be because, you know, they don't want to give the Heisman Trophy to the same player two years in a row, but Lamar Jackson's numbers absolutely warrant it. I mean, they're sitting here at 6-4, and 3-4 and four in the ACC, and I think it's pretty safe to say without Lamar Jackson, this is probably a 2-3 or three win football team uh, just because of all the value that he has on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, yeah, you covered most of this. Uh, the one thing I do want to mention is Louisville's defense, for as bad as they've been all year, they did a really nice job against... Kurt Benkert in that offense on Saturday. Um, Virginia could never get the ball rolling on the ground. You don't want Kurt Benkert to throw it a ton. He had to throw it 36 times. You would prefer to play with a little bit more balance. They, It's not like they didn't try. They just weren't all that successful. I thought Louisville's front seven did a pretty good job against the Virginia offensive line. They were living in the backfield. Jordan Ellis could never really get going, like you mentioned, 13 carries for only 58 yards and a touchdown. Once Virginia fell from behind, they threw it a lot more than they wanted to, and that's part of the reason why he only got 13 carries. Uh, Kirk Benkirk, he was just okay in this football game. But in order for Virginia to beat Louisville um, and, and Lamar Jackson, and, and we talked about this a little bit in the preview, is they had to bottle up Lamar Jackson a little bit, and they, they tried right in the first half, and they did an okay job of that. But the problem is, as the game wears on, Lamar Jackson is one of those players that can kind of break your will. Um, he just gets outside, and then he makes an unbelievable play almost single-handedly, and that, that really just takes the momentum completely out completely out of the hands of you know his opponent. And in this case, it was Virginia. They just couldn't stop Lamar Jackson enough, and their offense isn't nearly efficient enough or explosive enough to keep up with Louisville when they're scoring that many points. I mean, 38 points against Virginia. Virginia has a lot of trouble putting up 40 points, except a week ago against your Yellow Jackets. Um, that was weird. So it's an aberration when Virginia gets into, you know, high 30s, you know, early 40-point range. It's That's weird. But maybe a little bit of a letdown spot here for Virginia because they are going bowling for the first time in five years. Maybe that's what played into it a little bit. But good win for Louisville here. They avoided... A bad, what I would have deemed a bad loss to Virginia. Louisville's now bowl eligible, so you know whether Lamar Jackson plays in that bowl game or not, we'll kind of have to see. But they're now six and four, and uh, we'll have to see how they play here down the stretch. Yep, I, I think you said it all. Louisville now bowl eligible, six and four. Um, maybe we take a little remission here, real quick, Mike, and just point out that there are seven bowl eligible teams now in the ACC: Clemson, NC State, Wake Forest, Louisville. Miami, Georgia Tech, no, 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 uh, Virginia Tech and Virginia, uh, Georgia Tech and Boston College both at five wins, uh, could pretty easily get a sixth here before the thing's over. So, you know, Louisville becomes the seventh bowl eligible team in the ACC in this game. Um, really, I, I mean, probably pretty disappointing considering what last year was that, it, you know, it took this long to get here, but uh, room to add on, you know, next week against Syracuse at home on senior day and then traveling to Lexington to take on the Wildcats of Kentucky uh, the final week of the year. So, uh, you know, I guess not all is lost for Louisville in this season, but certainly reason to think that it should have been a lot more than it has been, Mike. Yeah, fair enough. Didn't really live up to the potential on either side of the ball, but, you know, a strong finish to the season. Maybe you can salvage something here. Yep. Let's move on, Mike. Uh, Wake Forest 64, Syracuse 43. Syracuse really struggled from behind the three-point line in this game. I was going to say, we forgot to mention uh, tip-off of college basketball season, and we had an (laughs) ACC matchup in the first weekend. Yeah. uh, This got weird. I mean, Wake Forest, of course, is becoming an offensive juggernaut, Mike. Yeah. John Walford, uh, 25 of 38, 363 and three touchdowns. He and Matt Colburn were the only two guys to carry the ball for Wake in this game. They went 50 carries for 373 and five touchdowns on the ground. Syracuse, what the hell was that? Yeah, that was ugly. Um, 
John Walford has been pretty good the last couple of weeks, Joey. Um, five touchdowns against Louisville, 461 yards three weeks ago. He had two touchdowns in the loss to Notre Dame last weekend, threw for 331 yards, 363 on Saturday in the victory against Syracuse, and three touchdowns through the air. He's also adding in some firepower on the ground. He had three rushing touchdowns yesterday, had a rushing touchdown against Notre Dame and a rushing touchdown against Louisville. The kid's turning into an offensive machine, and I didn't realize that Lamar Jackson also suited up and played for Wake Forest. Who would have thought? Because that's Mm -hmm. what John Wolford's turning into at this point. Um, Yeah, gone are the days of Wolford going like 9 of 26 for 78 yards and two interceptions. Uh, Those days are over. Because now he's officially hit his stride. He's been unbelievable for Wake Forest. Uh, I took Syracuse in this game uh, with my money, so that wasn't good. It looked okay initially, and then Wake Forest went on a huge scoring run. Like you mentioned, got hot behind the three-point line. Um, But, you know, Wake Forest, they were able to put on that full-court press defense um, and really suffocate that Syracuse offense. Jim Boeheim completely unprepared. That's what happened, you know. Yeah. yeah, also saw Zach Mahoney starting this game, of course. Everybody's favorite character from Disney's Recess. Yep, cue that up. Uh, 33 of 63, 84, three touchdowns, two picks. He was fine. Yeah, just a video game. I don't know. This was a very strange game to watch. I did actually tune in and see and see a good bit of this just because it was getting super weird, and I was like, there's no way I'm not going to watch this. This is going to be first one to 100 or something. So, uh good win by Wake Forest uh, another bad look for the Syracuse defense I don't know I feel like at this point we have one of these games per year last year it was Syracuse Pittsburgh this year it's Wake Forest Syracuse so hey we're just this is one of those things we're gonna have to deal with now moving forward we're gonna have one of these big time games a year where it's just like and I use big time loosely because it'll be battle between two mediocre teams just first one to 70 wins yeah uh, Mike, worth mentioning, as you said, uh, Zach Mahoney was the uh, the guy for Syracuse in this game. That's because Eric Dungey didn't play. Uh, he was ruled out of the game in pregame warm-ups. I guess they, he just did not look good. He didn't look right on his ankle. Uh, and so the Orange were without Eric Dungey in this game. That probably is part of the reason that your money was uh, not coming back to you after, after making that bet. Um, also, I want to mention here, Mike, Syracuse was up 38-24 at halftime. Um, They had a lead, and then they go and score five points in the second half. Now, what should we uh, mention? How did they get five points? Well, they got a safety, right? No, they did not get a safety. Syracuse came away with a defensive two-point conversion. Yep, Uh, it was that kind of game. Yeah. uh, Wake Forest tries to kick an extra point. It's blocked, and Syracuse runs it back all the way for two points, which, yes, that is a thing. You can do that. So that's all, you know, a thing that happened in this game since we're talking about how weird it gets. Um, by the way, that w- that extra point would have tied the game at 41, and instead now Syracuse gets a three-point lead. Didn't matter because Wake ended up scoring, like, three more touchdowns in this game. So, oh, well. But... Kind of, kind of a disappointing effort from Syracuse. I'm not going to lie to to know that they were up 38-21 at one point, and then they come out and they lose by three touchdowns um, in the second half. That's not not really a great showing after uh, going to the locker room with a lead here. So, a bit disappointing there on Syracuse's end. But Wake Forest at six and four, they're bowl eligible as well, Mike. So, uh, really good showing from them, and and a huge just dominant performance from the D, uh, the Stephen Deeks here in the uh, in the second half of the game. Might get double-digit. I mean, there's a chance still we could get double-digit bowl teams out of the ACC this year. So it's really mm-hmm. starting to push in that direction now with Wake Forest becoming bowl eligible. Wake Forest drive chart in the second in the second half. Field goal, touchdown, 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 field goal, touchdown, end of game. I think you take that. Not bad. A little bit of offense there. Yeah, not awful. Uh, yeah, weird game. Wake Forest comes out the winners 64-43. to and, uh, of course, Syracuse is going to have to tighten up the three-point shooting next week. Uh, Mike, last one here. Army 21, Duke 16. Uh, again, as we kind of expected here, Army was a three-point underdog in this game, maybe on name value alone. Duke has not been good here. They have lost six in a row, and uh, they are now the latest victim of 8-2 and two Army. But I thought it was the tune-up game. 
What yeah. happened? Well, it was supposed to be. Um, but, I mean, as anybody who's seen The Longest Yard would know, sometimes you lose the tune-up game. So, womp womp. Um, well, womp womp. Um, Daniel Jones, not great. 19-29 for 164 and a pick. Uh, 19 of 22 on the ground, 19 for 22 on the ground and a touchdown. But ultimately, Duke comes away from this game with only about 250 yards of offense. Army goes for a little over that, but, I mean, they were just more effective running the ball. And uh, I don't know what to say here, Mike. I mean, Duke is just down on their luck here, not really playing well and not looking good in games that they probably realistically should be winning here coming down the stretch of the season. Army completed one pass for 42 yards. They had 226 yards on the ground. Army's rushing offense almost outgained the entire Duke offense, and that's kind of where I'm at with this game. Duke's offense isn't any good. It's really held them back this year. Daniel Jones, huge setback this year. Very surprised. Uh, He was one of those guys that I thought was really one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC heading into the year, and why wouldn't you think that based off of how he played in 2016, but... Really disappointing year for Daniel Jones and Duke continues with a loss to Army. Um, they have Georgia Tech next week, correct? That's Yeah, how could that possibly go yeah, wrong? Yeah, right. So keep an eye on that. Um, Georgia Tech should win, but Duke, mm-hmm. Duke does Duke things. So there's I mean, what Georgia Tech should do is never really indicative of what they will do, so there's that. Yeah, so, I mean, there's still a reason to watch 4-6 and six Duke, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. So keep an eye on that next week. <laughs> Mike, this was an exceptionally short game from a possession standpoint. Second half, Duke turnover on downs, Army fumble, Duke touchdown, Army miss field goal, Duke punt, Army end of game. There were six possessions between the two teams after halftime. Part of that is because Army on that missed field goal, 18 plays, 75 yards, 10 minutes and 33 seconds. (laughs) No points. No points. 10 minutes, 33 seconds, no points. You inject that straight into the veins right there, Mike. That is, man, uh, the field goal was blocked, by the way, by Duke because it was being kicked. It was like an extra point length field goal for Army, and it's blocked. So that's great. Um, yeah. I don't know, Mike. This is, this is a again, a bit of a rough game for, for Duke as they have been lately. Uh, Daniel Jones not getting it done. Not always getting a lot of help either uh, from his teammates, although TJ Roming in this game – um, not really as much of a producer either. So three catches for forty yards—that was about it. Um, threw a pass, didn't work yeah, out. He threw but a he, pass. He threw a pass. Yeah. Anyways, Army twenty-one, Duke sixteen. Uh, Mike, we got to go. ACC moment of the week. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. What? The moment we've all been waiting for. What? Do we forget one? <sighs> Miami forty-one, Notre oh, Dame eight. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh man! Um, oh god okay so let's start with this uh miami's good so yes let's let's start with that um at the very least at the very least miami has an exceptionally high ceiling that's that's for damn sure uh miami fans sorry to keep you waiting but there were a bunch of bad bunch of really bad games this week and we had to keep you guys engaged in the podcast (laughs) miami completely steamrolls notre dame four turnovers by the irish brandon wimbush couldn't throw we're just going to jump right into this here, Joey. They stopped the run. Miami did, right? Stopped the run. Forced Notre Dame to throw the football. Turns out that's the blueprint. Now, only two teams now this year have done that against Notre Dame. Georgia, Miami. Two teams. Um, so, good for Miami. Way to stop the run. Team and speed. From Mike, by the way, which one of those games did Notre Dame win? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go with zero. Neither um, of them. Either okay. Of them. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what I thought was really evident to me in this football game, the team speed of Miami versus the team speed of Notre Dame. Um, A lot of slow developing plays by Notre Dame offensively. I thought that absolutely killed them. Um, You know, Brandon Wimbush is sitting there reading the tackle when they're running that spread option, and while he's reading the tackle, he's getting tackled on the backside because they couldn't block uh, the the run. You know, they couldn't block a linebacker. They couldn't block a corner that was blitzing or – Miami just seemed like they were one step ahead all night defensively. Uh, They forced Brandon Wimbush to throw, which is a good decision because Wimbush has happy feet and misses a lot of throws high, misses open guys. He missed Equinemius St. Brown, that one slant pass, back-breaking interception. Um, That was a killer. Miami goes in and scores. They jumped out to an an early lead. 
they played from ahead uh, for obviously the majority of the football game and Hard Rock Stadium was absolutely insane. The atmosphere in there was incredibly raucous. When you're playing with a lead in front of that crowd in that stadium, which, you know, I've, I've made fun of the crowds in that stadium numerous times, but they'll show up for a primetime game. I'll tell you that. And uh, kudos to them for showing up to a big game, paying what they had to pay to get in. I saw tickets were going for like 250 bucks on Saturday afternoon trying to get in that football game. So, well, Miami ticket price uh, heat check there real quick. It was a big-time heat check. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it had the feel of a big game, obviously, one of the biggest games that Miami's had in a really, really long time. It felt that way from the opening kickoff. Um, Notre Dame actually moved the ball okay on the first drive. They, um, you know, Wimbush missed, I think it was Equinemius St. Brown on the deep post pattern. Um, that would have been a touchdown. He missed them. He overthrew them, and then that was really it. Notre Dame couldn't get anything going really after that um i thought what was a killer is brian kelly brought in ian book which i kind of get like i, I do kind of understand like when bush had just turned the ball over a couple times you're trying to spark the offense with an individual who you think's a more proficient passer but then the experience thing caught up to them there because ian book not nearly as, as experienced as brandon Wimbush, and Wimbush is obviously still learning in his first year as a starter but Ian Book comes in, he th- he telegraphs a pass, pick six. Miami scores again before halftime, and that game was really over. So the Hurricanes came out. It was a full-court press. It was an absolute blitz of, blitz of Notre Dame. Um, the Irish, before they knew what hit them, they were down three touchdowns, and just an incredibly dominant performance by Miami. And congratulations to the Hurricanes. Like, you won me over. I said it from the start. I said, do it against two good teams, and I'll start taking you seriously. Well, I'm taking you seriously now. Um, Miami's one of those teams that when they're clicking on all cylinders like they have the last two weeks, they're pretty exciting to watch. They're forcing turnovers. They're explosive on offense, making big plays. And that's kind of how they've been winning here the last couple weeks. And, you know, they got Pitt and Virginia, or Virginia then Pitt, to finish things off. I mixed their schedule up with Virginia Tech because they're both playing the same team. Um they got Virginia and Pitt here in the next couple of weeks, and they got, of course, the ACC championship game against Clemson, which they just clinched officially on Saturday. Hey, I mean, Miami's in the driver's seat. They're going to be in great position to make the college football playoff if they went out. That's been the case for a number of weeks now, but I think on the national stage, you know, people are starting to realize, myself included, Miami is definitely for real. Absolutely, Mike. You mentioned that on the first drive of the game, Notre Dame moved the ball fairly well, and they did. They went nine plays, 35 yards. Uh, and eventually had to punt, and they punted pretty deep from within Miami's territory. Um, they were kind of almost on the edge of field goal range. But, Mike, it was the next – it was basically from there was where this game swung entirely. So on the next six drives for Notre Dame, they ran a combined 20 plays. They got 33 yards. They got one first down, and that was a converted fourth down. They had two turnovers that turned into uh, 10 points for Miami – and, and that was the time where the game went from a scoreless tie to 20 to nothing. That drive was uh, ended, or that, that stretch of game was ended. Uh, and then Notre Dame's next possession, they started driving the ball again. Nine plays, 54 yards. And then Ian Book hits Trajan Bandy for uh, Miami for a pick six, uh, where the whole thing really turned around. It got totally out of hand. Miami, you know, the defense created three turnovers in the first half. That turned into 17 points. The Hurricanes really playing off their defense and and, uh, benefiting from short fields in this game. Um, Notre Dame just couldn't get anything going on offense. The the Miami defense was completely overwhelming for them. Uh, The Notre Dame offensive line in particular just had no answer for the speed of the front seven of the Hurricanes. Uh, the Canes fed off the crowd the whole night. It was uh, it was pretty apparent, you know, that once the thing got rolling, Notre Dame was going to have to find some sort of magic to get back in it, and they just never did. Um, the other backbreaker probably here is that Miami came out after halftime. They got the opening kick to start the second half. Nine plays, 90 yards, touchdown. They go 34 to nothing. This was a beatdown, Mike. I mean, this was a, a total runaway boat race. Call it what you will. Maybe it's a yacht race, given that it was Miami and Notre Dame. Yacht race. Yacht race in Miami. Um, but, look, this was this was a total beatdown. Now, Miami, two weeks in a row, has dominated teams at home that 
I think that they might have been underdogs in both games, or were they favored against Virginia Tech? I don't remember. Uh, they ended up being slightly favored against Virginia Tech by the time everything was closed out, but that that line swung quite a bit there in the days leading up to kickoff. Well, they and they yeah they opened as an underdog, and they opened as an underdog against Notre Dame. That's where it closed as well. And uh, Miami comes away winners in both games. The biggest thing that I need to see from them, Mike, moving forward, that I haven't seen. I haven't seen them do this away from Hard Rock Stadium. So they've played exceptionally well in front of a raucous crowd the last two weeks on uh, on these primetime spots You know where, where the crowd is really rocking and they're able to feed off that crowd. My question now is can they go do this in Charlotte in a neutral site game You know, that's like a 10-hour drive from Miami or whatever it is? You know, will they travel and will they be able to do this in a neutral site environment? Uh, and and I, I don't know. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But, again, we've seen that they, they play so much off their defense, and their defense is so uh, so emotional with the way that they play. Will that travel to a neutral site when they play in the ACC championship and eventually in a bowl game? I don't know, Mike. And they, and they played off their crowd, too. I mean, who wouldn't? That The stadium mm-hmm. was insane the last two weeks. I mean, how, how could you not play, be a momentum team and play off the crowd and play off the momentum that your your defense produces with the turnovers, which – you know, to to their credit, I mean, the defense has been doing that all year. They've been forcing a ton of turnovers, but um, they've been extremely opportunistic. They play off that crowd at home, and it's not even road games. It's just neutral site. I think that's a fair question, but, you know, as long as the Hurricanes just continue to play the way that they've played the last two weeks and they don't revert back to the team that played against North Carolina um, just over two weeks ago, you know, this Hurricanes team is going to be a force to be reckoned with. You know, Clemson's going to have to be careful in the ACC championship game. Um, of course, if, you know, if Miami wins that game, whoever they play in the college football playoffs is going to have to be weary. And uh, look, it's it's crazy. I mean, Miami fans have been saying it since the start. This is a super good team. Um, most of us didn't buy it because we wanted to see Miami do it against real competition. And, uh, you know, to be fair, they laid an egg against North Carolina and barely escaped. They escaped that game. They've been extremely convincing the last two weeks. And now Miami's clicking on all cylinders. They're most assuredly going to be in the top four when the rankings come out on Tuesday night. I don't think there's any doubt about that at this point. Um, The Hurricanes look like one of the best four teams in college football, at least they have the last two weeks. If they can keep this thing rolling, um, they're going to be in excellent shape. And uh, they're a team that, you know, with the way the defense plays and how explosive the offense is with all their playmakers, when they're clicking on all cylinders, you know, who knows? I mean, sky's the limit. I mean, this is we, – we might potentially just be scratching the surface here with Miami. I mean, Mark Ricks, you know, he does an excellent job recruiting, and they're still a pretty young team on both sides of the ball. I mean, this team's only going to get better. So we might just be scratching the surface here with Miami, and it's pretty insane to think, like, they're without their best player. I mean, Mark Walton hasn't played in almost two months, and if they had him, how different would this be? I mean – I don't know. This is crazy. I mean, they're doing this without their best, one of the best running backs in the ACC, the best running back in the ACC. He hasn't played in a month and a half, and now they're really starting to hit their stride. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is such a a high ceiling kind of thing with them is when they are clicking on all cylinders, I mean, they're going to be tough to stop. Um, and so the question really becomes, you know, who out there is able to take advantage of that uh, is, is keep them out of their, out of their element, out of their game. I don't know what the answer is there, Mike. Um, I, I kind of thought that Notre Dame was going to be a bad matchup for them, but uh, clearly this thing turned into a total, absolute top-to-bottom landslide. And uh, Miami wins the Coastal Division. They're going to the ACC Championship game. They're undefeated. And in the new AP poll, they're number two, Mike. Yep. Um, that's, you know, I, I think that they've earned that, you know, with a, a huge win over Notre Dame and a, a pretty good win over, uh, over Virginia Tech a week ago. I was wrong. I mean, I was wrong yeah. about Miami. I was a thousand percent wrong. So that's we were, we were both wrong. Yeah. So that's that's where we're at. Um, there you I was go, sitting Miami there. Fans. Well, going into the Virginia Tech game, I was saying, you know, maybe Miami is kind of a fraud, being undefeated, not really looking that good. Turns out Virginia Tech's the fraud. So I was wrong, and that's where we're at. So good for the Hurricanes. I mean, they're playing well right now, and they're in a great spot. Mike, we can't get out of here without a little bit of a dig at Miami, though. Is it a dig at Miami, though, or? Is it a dig at Chris uh, Fowler or? It's a little bit of a dig at Miami. Uh, it's it's you know fun at their expense at the very least. Uh, the Go ACC moment of the week, Mike. Uh, second half, Miami has this game comfortably in hand, and uh, they're they're going to come on and have Michael Badgley, their longtime very successful kicker, kicker, try a field goal. Good kicker. Yeah, and uh, it's 
it should be mentioned, you know, there, there's some uh, lead up to this. It's a 42-yard field goal. Uh, and, and Chris Fowler notes that uh, Michael Badgley's never missed one of these, Mike. And then, uh, well, here's what happened. Michael Badgley's already broken the career record for field goals, surpassing Carlos Huerta. Has never missed in his career between 40 and 49. He'll be kicking on Sundays for a long time. From 42. And that is the announcer's jinx as yeah. he misses he did it. He did it. for the first time well in his done. career between 40 <laughs> and 49. As soon as I said it, I said, watch him. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Part by Pacific Life. Yeah. So, announcer's curse, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, when that happened, I couldn't help because I'm watching this game. It's already a blowout. And when that happens, Kirk Herbstreit's cracking up. I was cracking up, uh, you know. You can't help but laugh. Michael Badgley is pretty much as automatic as you get from a field goal kicking perspective. I mean, he's basically, you know, the poor man's Roberto Aguayo, and Miami fans are going to hate that. I just made that comparison. But that's <laughs> that's basically what he is, right? Like, really reliable kicker, but doesn't get the hype that Roberto Aguayo got at Florida State. And Badgley has been hugely successful, really good kicker. And then Chris Fowler just completely jinxes him. Kirk Herbstreit makes fun of Chris Fowler for jinxing him, and then Chris Fowler apologizes for jinxing him. So it couldn't have been better. Yeah, that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty fun. So go ACC to that. Nice, nicely done, Chris Fowler. Uh, Mike, we also have a Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award, and I, I'm trying to think of who specifically this goes to. I think maybe it goes to like TV producers for trying to hype up some of these games this weekend because these really kind of came across on all three networks. Uh, Mike, there were three top ten matchups in this in the uh, in college football this week, and it was looked at as like, man, like this is a huge slate of games, this is a a huge schedule. This is going to be awesome. Mike, all three of these games were blowouts. Yeah, all of them were blowouts. Um, number seven, Miami, forty-one. Number three, Notre Dame, eight. Number ten, Auburn, forty. Number one, Georgia, seventeen. And then what was it? A matchup of five versus six with Oklahoma and TCU. Oklahoma 38, TCU 20, and it was a late touchdown there by TCU that made mm-hmm. it even that close. Uh, Baker Mayfield ran roughshod um, all over that secondary there for DCU. Uh, they had no answers for the passing attack for Oklahoma. So three big-time blowouts in games that were supposed to be you know the marquee games of the weekend, and it was really the case across the majority of the uh, top 25 matchups we had. I know Iowa-Wisconsin was interesting for a little bit, and then, you know, Wisconsin goes ahead. They blow Iowa out. Um, the only one I can really think of that was extremely competitive and, like, really, really fun, Oklahoma State-Iowa State, which kind of went down to the wire there. Uh, that was a pretty close game. But for the most part, a lot of these top 25 games – oh, and I, I miss it. I can't, can't forget this. Alabama-Mississippi State was also a fantastic football game. So That was a fun game. So there were – I mean, there were a couple. But for the most part – uh, the top 25 games, specifically the top 10 games, were absolute blowouts. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess a big old you tried goes out to the TV producers who are trying to uh, hype up these big-time games because, man, none of them really ended up being uh, <laughs> particularly fun games to watch unless you're like me and you're really enjoying watching Georgia get their doors blown off by Auburn. Uh, that was really fun. So in any case, Mike, uh, it was an eventful week 11 with some weird and or not so great football in the ACC in, in a lot of cases. Um, anything else before we get out of here and move on? I think we're good. On to week 12. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's We're in another spot where there aren't any top 25 matchups, I believe, um, you know, ranked matchups here, not only in the ACC but throughout the country. But that doesn't mean there won't be chaos because it is late November in college football season, and there's always stuff going wrong. So I'm really interested to see how things pan out here in Week 12. Mike, it's the weeks where there are no particularly interesting games that are the ones that inevitably will get super weird. Um, Now, to be fair, Mike, there's three ACC teams playing FCS competition next week, as is tradition for the week before before Thanksgiving on some of these teams. Uh, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina all have those, but there's a whole bunch of other conference action going on, and – you know, you never know what's going to happen. Miami's playing at noon at home against Virginia. Uh, Syracuse traveling to Louisville. That could get interesting. NC State's got to go to Wake Forest. That could also be interesting. So there's plenty of potential, and we will come back and preview those games here in the next few days. 
but Mike, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. You are at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, they could send us an email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed, sir. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, they can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, not Stitcher, not Spotify, and uh, potentially other places or not other places. Who knows? Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social media? Facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Absolutely. Oh, and everybody, Please do. everybody else is listening, too. So. Mm-hmm. Big thanks, big thanks. Uh, Mike, anything else before we get out of here? I think we're all set, man. On to Week 12. Absolutely. This has been fun. And we will talk soon when we do come back to preview Week 12. But until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.